Welcome to the Pink Cloud Podcast. In this weekly podcast, we offer a supportive space where women share their personal experiences of getting sober and navigating sobriety while being young. In each episode, we deliver an amazing combination of heart-to-hearts and informative interviews with sober women without judgment. This podcast is about of necessity for like-minded women trying to seek and maintain sobriety while achieving more in their lives. Whether it's in sobriety, relationships, career, spirituality, mental health, or health and wellness. Created with sobriety, recovery, and sisterhood in mind, the Pink Cloud Podcast unites the voices of phenomenal women as we share deep and inspiring conversations of hope for a bright future. Hello and welcome to the Pink Cloud Podcast. I'm your sober host, Lisa H. And today I have a very special guest. Chantelle is here to share her story. I've known Chantelle for some years now. I met her when she first got sober and I am honored to be a part of her journey and her story. And you guys, I can't wait for you to hear it because the shit's wild. So without further ado, (laughs) Chantelle, take it away. Hi, everybody. I am Chantel and I am an alcoholic. I would like to say thank you, Lisa, so very much for allowing me to be a part of this. I'm truly excited and I hope this reaches many, many people out there. Yeah, my stories, it's kind of a doozy. I was born and raised in Louisiana and that's kind of where I started my drinking at a young age. I had a lot of issues with family members and they were very handsy with me when I was young and as a child and went through some things that a child should never have to go through. I was put in a detention center for smoking a cigarette with people that did quite a lot of drugs. They finally gave me away into a foster home at the age of 14 I think I was 14, 13 or 14. And at the age of 15, I was emancipated from the state of Louisiana because I was awarded to the state back then. I went into, and I started hitchhiking. So my first hitchhike run was this guy picks me up and I asked him to buy me some wine coolers for Uh God knows whatever reason. (laughs) (laughs) I like seeing your face. (laughs) And yeah, he bought me some wine coolers and I drank them, but he took me to a church place and these people loved me so much that they wanted me to be a part of it. They even made a phone call to my parents to ask if I was a runaway or not. But of course I'm not, I wasn't, I was awarded to the state of So you hitchhike, get some wine coolers and end up at a church? At a church. Yes. (laughs) Well, And they tried to help me out. I was about 15 years old Mm -hmm. and they did try to help me out, but I wound up drunk in a dry town in somebody's yard and they took me to a drunk tank at the age of 15 (laughs) and they weren't able to help me out anymore. They said that I had, you know, some issues that were a little bit more than what they could handle, believe it or not. So then I went on another spree of hitchhiking and I wound myself up in Colorado and I got married to a gentleman who was very physically, mentally, and emotionally abusive. We both drank quite a bit. How old Uh, were you at this time? I was 17, 16 or 17. I think it was, 
He's about 16 or 17. I think I went there when I was 16. And then at the age of 17, I got pregnant with my son and I had him when I was 18 years old with this gentleman. And we were full blown alcoholics. We drank a lot. Like I remember I was raped during this time. I drank quite a bit and my ex was with me in the car and he took my ring, my wedding ring off my finger and threw it out the window. And I just, he told me to get out of his car and I got out of his car and I started, you know, crying and running and unfortunate events happened to me. And you know, it was due to a lot of alcohol induced and putting myself in situations that I should never have been in to begin with. But I, you know, I, but you were so young. I mean, yeah, I was very young. You were a kid, you were a little baby running around without, you know, guidance. Yeah, that's so true. And I tend to, when I tell my story, I tend to look at it as like a little child, as somebody maybe different, like, and visualizing, like in a movie type sense, because sometimes it gets really emotional for me to speak about a lot of the different things. Because after that happened, after I was raped during that time, I hitchhiked all the way to North Carolina to be with my mother so she can help me with the situation. But I had a brother and sister there who also really loved drinking and loved to do drugs. And I wanted to fit in with that family. I never knew them. I wasn't raised by my mom. I didn't meet my brothers and sisters, but, or those two anyways, because I have seven brothers and sisters in my family, but these two are my half brothers and sisters that live with my mother. And we partied quite a bit. I mean, just so much that, you know, I don't even know how I made it through those years quite a lot. I mean, it took a toll on my mom. It took a toll on like a lot of people that were around me during that time. And I finally, my mom couldn't handle me again, a lot of alcohol abuse during that time. She had a lot of demons too, but still it was another rejection on my part from her to me, which put me in another tailspin of, you know, alcoholic behaviors or alcoholism. And once I came back from that, I went back to Southern California where I had lived at the time. And I tried to fight for my son to get custody of him from my ex because I finally was able to escape from him. Although it was really difficult. Even when I went back, he would, you know, throw himself in front of a door and pull out wires from the wall. And I couldn't make phone calls. I couldn't do anything. And he had a lot of rage when he drank. And, you know, again, as for me drinking, it just wasn't a really, really bad mix. He put my son like on, I remember this one time he put my son on the side of the road on the walkway and he just started running towards me and my ex picked him up and told, you know, me if I wanted him back, I'd come back home to him. So that kind of went array and his family had a lot of money. So they were able to get custody of him. I lost a job. I couldn't afford where I was living, we would have been out on the street. So I finally signed the papers over to him. But that again, that there too took a toll on me. And I turned towards alcohol. And I went to Vegas and Vegas was a whirlwind. It was a lot of fun. (laughs) It was a lot of fun in Vegas, a lot of stuff I would never ever begin to do, you know, if I wasn't an alcoholic or the influence, (laughs) you know, it was a pretty, I lived there for about five years and it was, you know, a pretty blacked out time frame with yeah. a lot of memories of just 
a lot of drugs, a lot of yeah. different people, a lot of different. Well, because Vegas oh. can be like grimy, you know, it could be nice and there's the strip and there's the nice hotels, but it has that underside is like, ooh, yeah. I mean, and a lot of people there. I mean, I don't even think I met that many people that didn't do drugs there. I really, you know, and I was a local considered, you know, since I lived there. Yeah. So no, there's nothing but bars you know, from one end to the other end yeah. and you could do whatever you want there. So it was, I mean, it fed my habits, you know, yeah. it's like a, a Disneyland lot. for the alcoholic or addict, right? It really is. It really is. So, you know, and believe it or not, in a couple of weeks, I'm going there for my son's 21st birthday. So, you know, I'm proud of where I'm at today and I'm proud that, you know, yeah. I can go into situations mm -hmm. like this and be sober and be a shining light to everybody Vegas, around you. you can do Vegas sober. I've done it a few times sober. So it's like, yeah, you know, you just, you got to know where to stay away from, but it seems like when we're in some shit, we can find the people that are doing the same thing. I mean, it's like, or it's written in our faces. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, you party for sure. Like let like you party, I party, and then you just find these people. But it's the same thing with sobriety. Like you're I'm not gonna attract or find people who are like, you know, binge drinking or using or doing drugs or doing shady stuff because I don't. And that wouldn't be appealing to me if like I came across someone like that. So you just kind of I don't know. I mean I always shop now when I go to Vegas, now I'm sober shopping. Oh yeah. I love the shopping. The massages well, the, and the there's roller shows. There's, I did that. Shows. And the zip lining. Yeah. It's fun. Totally fun. But yeah, yeah. just that seedy underworld. <laughs> yeah. Like, I can't, well, I haven't seen my son. He's a Marine and mm -hmm. he's been in for three years now. And so he turns 21. So I'll it'll be, be an experience, but I'm going to be the shining light and I'm going to hold their hair back this time mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, I mean, they're yeah. not alcoholics nor drug addicts. So, I mean, they can hold their own. And if yeah. they were to become one, they know exactly where to go. I've been a really good beacon for, you know, all my children yep. in this journey of sobriety. So Yep. Yeah. So I'm excited about going there. Yeah, it should be fun. Okay. Yeah. So you're living in Vegas. You've been I'm living five in five years. Yep. And I met my ex, my second ex there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I have two children by him, Alan and Sierra. I don't know if I should be telling their names, but I have two children by him. But his father was a huge drug dealer, huge. And so when they, you know, you see the cocaine in, you know, the small forms and you put it in a line or whatever, these were blocks, blocks and blocks <laughs> and blocks of cocaine. And we had our heyday in different areas with that field. And yeah. yeah, it brought some real bad things. You know, I mean, he was abusive too. He put me in the hospital. He, you know, it was very traumatic for me. And again, I don't even think, I think maybe I was 22 at this point in time. So again, not really good relationships in the past. I gravitate towards more alcoholics and addicts towards my own personal journey through that. You know, that's kind of who we gravitate towards yeah. and we surround ourselves with because yeah. who wants to be around people who don't drink when you, you know, no, you don't have anything in common with someone who's not drinking. I mean, there could have been when I was out there drinking, the perfect guy could have showed up on my doorstep, but didn't drink. And I'd be like, eh, no, thank you. Like, I don't want anything to do with you. <laughs> you don't. Yeah. Drink. Sorry. This, you know, that's how we've chosen, you know, and 
Yeah. So I met him there and he was also abusive. I had two children with him and I wanted to change my ways and I didn't want to do any more drugs anymore. I didn't see an issue with alcohol, even though I was a full blown alcoholic then. I just thought, oh, my problem is the drugs, you know? And so I'm like, I just want to get rid of it out of my life. And I told the man, you know, I want to change everything. You know, if you want me and, you know, want to have a family, you're going to quit all of it. You know, you're going to get a job. You're going to get a place for us to live before I even begin to move out to where I live now. And he did all that, you know, but he kept on to the drug scene. And, you know, when I gave birth to my second son, I mean, my second child by him, it was a little boy. I left him before my son was the age of one. And so I began to become a single mother with absolutely no family and no supportiveness Mm -hmm. or anything whatsoever. And it was really difficult. And again, you know, as I am an alcoholic, I started to drink a, a lot more. I drink, I didn't drink every single night, but I drank on the weekends. I even left my kids in the house by themselves while I went to drink across Mm -hmm. the street, knowing that they were asleep and, you know, did some really things that as a mother, you know, I have had to look back on and, you know, I just don't know who in their right mind would ever do the things that I did while I was, you know, drinking like that. It's just not a normal person's, you know, thought pattern. They don't leave their kids by themselves, you know, and it, and it wasn't just then, I mean, they were real young, two, three, four years old, really young. And that didn't stop. That did not stop because I didn't do it on a weekly basis. I mean, I might've did it probably three times a year. Not that any of that's good, but I, you know, just to reiterate, I didn't leave them there all the time by themselves, but you know, it took a toll on me. I had nobody and nothing and I'm raising these two infants hard. Yeah, it was very, very difficult. And as the years went on, I met a guy at the bar that, you know, I would sneak off to while they were sleeping. And he's my number three daddy. He's Mm -hmm. my baby three daddy. Uh And he was also an alcoholic, obviously. And he would definitely (laughs) ran a lot of the rooms together or not rooms, the bars together Mm -hmm. and continued my alcoholic pattern for a while. Then too, we couldn't get along though. We were more friends than anything. We just couldn't have a relationship. It was just not, it was like butting heads with one another, but we couldn't. couldn't. It just was very, very difficult. While I was right after I had my third child, my sister, she committed suicide. She blew her head off with a gun. And it's because I know it's, it took me a long time to get over that, but she also dealt with the same things that I did with when I was younger, but you know, she couldn't handle a lot of the situations and she felt extremely unloved by family, extremely overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. She also was an addict, you know, it just took a toll on her. And I felt more like her mother and I felt like I failed her. And this is probably the beginning of the part where I began to drink so much more like maybe not on an everyday basis, but pretty close to it. Like the necessity. I remember that part of my, I hit that part of my drinking too, where it was, I was probably always an alcoholic sound like you, same thing, drinking, partying, running, and then shit happened. And then it was like, okay, this is a turning point, And this is the beginning of the end. <laughs> this is where it goes steep. 
and my drinking goes down fast. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. You know what? And I'm so glad you understand, you know, what I've been through and just the different things, you know, it's a blessing to all of us because of the mind frames that we have. And it doesn't matter what walk of life you come from that one component of being an alcoholic and or a drug addict brings us all together because we all have the same sickness and mind thought patterns. Yeah. We can all relate to each other. It does not matter where you're from, where you grew up, where you've been, what you're doing. You can walk in the room and relate to what someone else says in the feeling. Yeah. That's the same thing. I was young when I got sober. So I'm like, okay, everyone looks older than me and all these people are older, but I could so relate to everything that they were saying and the feeling it was like that feeling like, and it's like, you know, when someone knows and they're not bullshitting you <laughs> That's because, so true. because they say it in a way that you're like, you wouldn't know that you wouldn't say it like that unless you really know how I was feeling. Like, you know, if someone's like just textbook reading something and like, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, even us, as we go in there and you hear somebody else talking, you know, it goes through my head. It's going to have to go through somebody else's head too. You yeah. know, like, wow, I relate to that man. <laughs> So much. (laughs) Yeah. So she really couldn't handle it. That really, you know, that tore me to pieces inside and out. She's the only thing I had left. I felt like, even though, you know, I have several brothers and sisters, she was my only real sister, my only real sibling, like both parents had us both. And, you know, I had a very, a huge bond with her and a connection with her that I tried helping her to the best of my ability as an alcoholic as I was probably not giving her the best advice, back then, <laughs> but I really did try. And then I would say about less than two years later, my oldest son. So this was later on, he, you know, turned 17, went into the army and about three years into his army, he got hit by an IED in Afghanistan. Uh, yeah. And I so I can't even imagine as a mom dealing with getting that call and your son's overseas. And well, the thing is, is that he got married right before he had went in to a lady who was not a very pleasant lady. And she got the call and I was blessed to try to get the pieces out of her to the best of my ability until I can see his face because he finally went into the wounded warrior unit and I was able to talk to him. But once that happened, I think it just broke me. It just broke me. And it was full-blown drinking every single night. Now, granted, my kids were young. My other kids were very young during this time. So they had, I put so much mental damage on them through this process. You know, I mean, I was a good mom. I was a good mom. And a lot of people prided me of, you know, the strongness I was. I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a pretty strong woman to begin with, you know, even in my addiction, I'm pretty strong. I mean, I would have to take my kids, all three of them to three different schools, leave That's work. What you did though. I mean, the amount of pressure that it takes to be a mom. I mean, I'm not a single mom, but when my husband was deployed, I was in a city all by myself with an infant and toddler. And so I get that. I totally understand, you know, and thank God that I was sober and I'm, you know, sober through the whole thing and I have a program, but I can't even imagine. I mean, there were so many days I'm like, I'm going to have a mental fucking breakdown. I'm going to have a breakdown. I'm all by myself. Yeah. So I get what, where you're coming from with the not having family thing. That's hard. And you move around, you don't hard. have friends or family or people, you know, a friend here or there, but no one that you could say, look, t- watch my kids, like take my kids. Yeah, so I, I got to, I did have friends and they tried to help me out as much as 
they could, but they also have kids, you know? And so, you know, like during the morning time, I would go through, you know, to three different schools. I had a, or two different schools too, at one point, but you know, it maxed out to three different schools and I would leave work, go and pick them up from schools and take them either to the daycare. And then later on, you know, to my house, cause my daughter, I put a lot of responsibility on my daughter to watch the other two kids. Cause she was older and then I would get home and then I would take them to swim, baseball, yep. dance, and three different kids and three different functions. I, you know, when I got off work, I went straight by Walgreens and I would get my alcohol and I would get an 18 pack. And mm-hmm. before I would even leave the house with the kids to go and take them everywhere, I would be full blown drinking. Like I would have at least just to handle everything. I would have at least yeah. four to five beers, which at this point didn't affect me. I felt yeah. normal <laughs> by that, you know, with the five beers, I felt that's like just I to get level. Again. That's like to get like, ah, exhale four to five. Yeah. Beers. And exhale. And so, and then I would take some and I would put it in my purse or whatever. And, you know, as they're <laughs> going and doing things, you know, I just sit there and I just sip on it you yeah. know, during the whole thing. And then once they're done, I take them back home and then I'm full blown drinking again. And because of everything that happened, they put me on antidepressants Then they put me on anxiety medicine and I was drinking. So, and like that um, shit doesn't work if you're drinking, you know, no. like I was on medication too. And they put me on stuff. And when you're taking stuff and then you're drinking and throwing it all off or missing doses and not taking it as prescribed or whatever, or taking too much, it, it doesn't really work. <laughs> You're thinking, no, it doesn't. It really doesn't. You know, and then you're telling half truths to the doctor. You're like, no, I'm not that bad. How often are you drinking? Oh, uh, rarely. Yeah, maybe it's one or two a day, you know, <laughs> and you're full blown. I seriously was up to 18. I'd say between 14 to 18 beers a night. I'm not even joking. And I would yeah. stack them like a pyramid. I have some of my friends still <laughs> talk about that to this day. Till this day, I would just keep stacking them on the side of, you know, my table. And yeah, that was a sight to see some of the things we used to do, huh? Yeah. So, I mean, and with the anxiety medicine, they put me on clonopin and that does not mix well with alcohol at all. I was a blackout drunk for years and years and years. I started being a blackout drunk when I was younger, but it didn't become till a day-to-day basis till I would say, you know, probably right after my son got hit. Yeah. You know, with the IED. That's when I became a total blackout. And every night I would just blackout and I would sleep through the night and I would have to look yep. at my phone to see who I text, what I said, what I did, trying to get an idea of yeah. what happened the night before without asking anybody because I yeah, felt you're like, mm, what happened? Well, yeah. Like towards the end of mine too, I would intentionally blackout. It was like, I need to completely check out. So I'm going to drink to completely blackout. But the only thing with me is I got sober before like texting and social media. So I would just, <laughs> so I would check the phone log. So you'd see who you called, but there wouldn't be any evidence. There was no, like, there weren't camera, like picture phones, or there was no iPhone or anything. And so there was no evidence. I was like, I just get like glimpses of something. I'm like, Oh, I better stay away from that person. Cause there was no evidence. I couldn't read what I text. I wouldn't know what I said the day before it was just oh. someone else remembering and me. Yeah. I totally get that too, because I too, you know, at points in my life, I didn't, it wasn't text or anything, you know, I'm going on 50 years old. So, you know, at points I didn't have, you know, text messages either, but 
I would call my parents and give them an ear every single time I drank. And <laughs> I haven't the slightest idea what I told them, but I'm pretty sure they weren't happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. So then um, you get sober, though. So then, so then I, um, my rock bottom was is I tried to kill myself, you know, and my kids were inside the house and I had closed my door and locked the door. And I guess I started text messaging people saying, you know, please come to the house and grab the kids by, you know, 10 o'clock tonight or 12 midnight, just come get them out of the house. I don't remember doing this, but I took a whole bunch of pills and my daughter, Tiara, she tried to put her fingers down my throat and try to get the pills out of my throat. And I bit her so badly. I don't remember that either. I just know, you know, what everybody was telling me the following day, what was going on. And there's a lot more that's happened in the past. I'm just bullet pointing like a lot of different things that you're hitting the bullet points pretty damn good because you have a good picture of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I can tell you shit that I've done when I drank and all the men I slept with and all kinds of things, but I want to focus on you know, what got me seriously drinking? What were the issues in my life that really put me over the edge to where, you know, the only solution for me was alcohol to check Mm -hmm. out, to not be a part of, and to not feel those emotions and the tragedies that helped me feel like I deserve this. You know, I deserve freedom from all this world, you know, through alcohol. But it was a whirlwind the following day I finally said it to myself and I begged God and I asked God for so much help to quit drinking. And I actually asked him about three months before that I went into Pershing for the first time. It was my first AA meeting was a Pershing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I should be saying that, the places, <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> uh, but it was my first meeting and somebody bought me a big book and I gave like, I don't know, in the basket and they were giving me my money back saying, no, no, you don't have to give, you know, it's just don't, no, 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 here's a dollar. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you a book (laughs) or something. And they bought me a book and I'm like, this shit's not for me. These people are nuts. I'm nowhere like them. Yeah. So I think not even a month or two later, I hit that rock bottom. So God did answer my prayers. He really did. Not that I really liked him at the time or appreciated him answering that prayer the way he did, (laughs) but he sure did. And it's something I really needed. Lisa, I really needed it so badly. I was lost. I was destroyed inside and out. I see no future with anything. The only thing I can think of is just drowning myself in alcohol. And I finally, after like a week of me sitting on the side of my couch, detoxing from alcohol and not to my new pills, which I'd never suggest anybody detoxing by themselves off of pills no. and or alcohol. If you are a drinker, the way that yep. I, I, yeah, think, it can seriously kill you. Yeah. You could die. Yeah. And I didn't have any idea how bad off I was or what the consequences was. If I just quit, I just wanted to, and I just needed to, and I had no body to tell me differently on how to do that. So yeah. I highly suggest anybody out there to you know, definitely seek help when you're, you know, knowing. Yeah. How medically much detox. Yes. Medically sure. detox. Yeah. But I sat on the corner and then finally my dispatcher, I work in the trucking industry and my dispatcher said that his brother 
you know, needed a meeting and he's like, he has no ride Chantal. And I know that you drink and I know you didn't like the AA meeting that you went to last time, but just try this out. He really needs a ride. And you know, all my life I'm a giver, you know, and I'll yeah, do anything for everybody. And you know, so I was like, yes, I'm there. I'm going to help this man out and I'm going to take him to the meeting. <laughs> so, you know, I started taking him to the meetings and he quit going to the meetings, but I kept going. That's so and, good. you know, it just so many people was, accidentally get sober, accidentally stumble into rooms and then accidentally. And it's like, it's not it's, really an accident. Like that's like, that's God sent. Yeah. That's fate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I feel like it's God sent. So, you know, I went into the rooms and I felt like I had it down packed. I'm like, I'm never going to drink again. I felt like I was, you know, you know, that <laughs> pink cloud that you get on when you yep. first get in the rooms. Well, <laughs> the you know, the, cloud. Yeah. And I remember my sponsor was Mm -hmm. so great to me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I loved my sponsor so much. Well, I was going through court battles because they turned me into CPS and they took my children from me. And I have to say this because I have to interrupt you. You have great kids. We haven't said this. We haven't said how great your kids are. Like you have really good children. You've raised, like, despite all the stuff that you've said, you have amazing, like really good kids. So I just I, wanted to say that. They're I was very, a very good mother. Yes. Oh, and, and that you were a good mother. You always did everything, made sure all of their needs were met and you have great kids. Okay. Sorry. I had to interrupt with that because we yeah, didn't say are, that. So I want the listener, I want a, a full picture for the listeners who don't know, but you have amazing, like, yes, articulate, so my, smart, brilliant, like nice, like polite, really good kids. So anyways, go ahead. Caring too. Yeah. Yes. They've got a really good caring heart. Yeah. Yes. They wear their emotions on their sleeve, just like yes. their mama does yeah. in a good way. Yes. So, yeah. okay. So CPS. Okay. Yeah. So CPS took the three kids and I had to go to court each one of them separately. So it was kind of a hard deal there, but I had visitation with my daughter. I had supervised visitations with my daughter, my youngest daughter at the time. And my ex, the one that we were friends with, it's my last daughter. So it was her dad. So I went to go there and he told me that I would never see my child again. And that I, you know, I was a piece of shit and that I was worth nothing and that all of my kids hated me and everybody wanted, you know, me away from them, that I was so horrible, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That did a whole toll on me, not to mention, you know, it was during my first month of sobriety and it took a toll my first month and a half, I would say it took a toll on me mentally. And that hit me emotionally. So when my son got hit with the IED, I had to put myself into a mental place for Mm -hmm. like a month to get some reprieve and some help to, for help skills with myself. Yeah. Well, when that happened, I found out I love water. So, you know, when this man told me all this and I'm just like looking at him thinking I am not a bad person, Yeah. you know? And so I just, I said, you know what? I need to kayak. I need to get on the water. I need something Mm -hmm. that's peaceful. I need something. So I drove myself to the Delta. I live in California and I live off the Delta, not too far from the Delta. And so I was driving to find a place where they rented kayaks. Well, it was a Sunday and I have no idea why, but I don't know why I was like around, around four or five. They don't rent kayaks at that time, <laughs> but I just <laughs> wasn't way, yeah. straight. 
Yeah. yeah. So there was a place off the side of the area there. And I went in and I'm like, I'm just going to go and get something to eat. And then I seen off to the corner, all these old people having fun and they're drinking. It was like a bar area. And I'm like, all I want to do is be happy like them. So yep. I went into the bar and I started drinking and I had a great time until they threw me out for whatever reason. <laughs> <laughs> And I literally, I can't tell you why they threw me out. I know I was crying. I made some phone calls to people in AA and I started driving and I lost my water bottle went on the bottom of my feet and my phone dropped when I was on the phone with one of the AA people and it dropped. So I went down to grab the water bottle on the phone and because, you know, my hand was on the wheel, it started turning left as I went down right to grab the phone and the water bottle and I drove into the Delta and I don't know if anybody knows the channel. The yeah. Is. Like a it's canal, a, like a water river waterway. It's a river. Yeah. It's a river and it's very deep and I don't like know how channel. to explain it. It's a yeah. deep channel, yeah. but where I went off, you know, you wouldn't think it would be that deep, but my car sunk. So I tried to get out of the back of the car because my doors wouldn't open. So in the back of the window, I started banging out the back because I had a tire that was in the back. I had a flat tire and I put my spare on the car and I, my back tire in the back, I put it in the back of my small SUV. And when it went in, the back of the tire hit the back of the windshield and cracked it just a teeny God. bit. And I, yeah, it was pretty scary. I kept I mean, having to bang it and it kept sinking. The car kept sinking every time I kept hitting the back of it. And I finally was able to break it open and I sat at the, I was so submerged that I just sat on the top of the hood of my, the back of my car. And I thought to myself, oh my God, this is going to take me under when it goes. So I just started swimming the best as I could to the shore. <laughs> and yeah, it was quite traumatic. And then, you know, I hitchhiked. <laughs> I hitchhiked. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> You know, a truck driver actually picked me up. Actually, before that, another your, guy. Your hitchhiking skills finally came in, came, came into Full to better fit you. <laughs> You're like, I know how to get somewhere without a car. <laughs> I know this. Yes, and, and I never thought 40s. to hitchhike. I would have never thought to hitchhike. I'd be like, okay, I got to walk or run somewhere. But you're like, nope, I know how to do this. Yeah. And you know what? I'm in my forties at this point. So, I mean, you know, that's just, yeah, it's craziness there. So this guy picks me up and he had to go and do some, his loads first. And then he, you know, when he was done, he said he would take me back to where I was, but he dropped me off right before the 7am meeting yep. at Pershing, yep. the place that I didn't like when I first went. So I love that place now. And yeah. I feel a connection to it that I'll never be able to describe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I went there and I met two of the people that were there and they both seen the green slime all over my body yeah. from swimming out of the Delta. That's and, crazy. Uh, That's yeah, it was such a miracle that you survived that. Okay. All of those things that came into play, like that spare tire that you got a flat tire and that you had to change it. And then that tire saved your life. You would have been dead because you would have. I would have been dead. Yeah, yeah. I think I would have been dead. Absolutely. I don't know how I would have gotten out of that car. I just yeah. don't. Because the car There's was about gone $1, after that. $1,600, you know, in it, if anybody wants to die to go find it. <laughs> 
but there's a lot of good shit in that purse. <laughs> and the purse itself is worth probably 500. So. <laughs> Yeah, if anyone's interested. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And I didn't even have my sponsor's number. And everybody's like, who is this girl? They were looking covered me up and slime. down. Yeah, covered in slime. And they're like, oh, I'm not sure. Let me call her real quick to make sure. And they sure did. They called her and they're like, yeah, yeah, where is she at? And then, you know, she came to try to help me find where my car was at. I couldn't remember exactly where it was at, you know, but you know, she truly helped me out and, you know, and she never turned her back on me and she helped me through some extremely dark times in my life. And, you know, I just suggest anybody out there, you know, if they're struggling with alcohol, just definitely, you know, like look to AA. I know that I'm not supposed to promote that maybe, or you can, that's fine. Yeah. But, you know, get a sponsor, you know, get help because the people who have the same mind frame as you, is going to become your best friend and hold your hand when you can't hold yourself up. I mean, it took me over a year before I got my kids. I went through court after court after court after Mm -hmm. court case and going against people who loved to kick people when they're down and out, you know, they just were not, you know, they just couldn't wait because again, like I said, I was a pretty strong individual and I'm very boisterous too. Like I'll state what I mean and what Mm -hmm. I, even if it's, I've become a lot more tactful lately and (laughs) recently, but I love to tell you exactly what, you know, what you're doing wrong without even looking at me, you know, back then, but they were chomping at bits just to probably couldn't wait for the day that I faltered and that happened and they really did. But let me tell you, karma's a bitch and things happen to people who really, really do things to, you know, that's not warranted to. So I just got to put that out there. It took me a bit though to, you know, get my kids back, but I finally did. And I have to say that without the ladies and even some of the men in the rooms, like there's no possible way that I would be able to walk a step without having it in my life. I'm going on eight years. September 11th is Mm -hmm. my sobriety date. It should be in August at some point, but I couldn't remember (laughs) when my car went into the Delta. So we chose September. September, (laughs) yep. Yeah, I was going to do September 1st, but it's my daughter's birthday. So I chose September 10th. And just so that way it didn't compete with her. And yeah, and you make sure you got that covered your last, make sure it's past your, yeah, you're not getting any extra time. Yeah. Well, you know, at the time I couldn't remember when it was, but now I know the exact day and it's August 3rd of 2014 was my last drunk. You know what I have to say in between a lot of these positions that I put myself into were horrific. Like, I mean, sometimes I would leave in the middle of the night, like after I put the kids down and I would go and I would go to a bar, men would come home to, from the bar with me, my house would be ransacked a few occasions, money stolen. And I just don't remember. I just don't remember the night prior. I couldn't even, I wouldn't be able to pin them up in a lineup of anybody doing anything to me, you know, and that's kind of a smaller case of what's happened. Although that's bad enough. I just could never remember anything. And I thank God to this day that I, you know, I'm able to live life on life's terms with, you know, I found my higher power and it's God. You know, I go to church every Sunday. Mm -hmm. I pray to him daily. 
you know, I don't think that there's no possible way that it wasn't God that pulled me out of my demise. And I just, you know, I just can't thank him enough, you know, until this day. And today I hang out with all AA, you know, women. I don't hang out with anybody that does drink. I try to kind of avoid those situations. Not that I have to, I feel, you know, I have to fly all over the place and, you know, a key to flying everywhere. Right. And there, everybody drinks out there. I take a glass of water with ice in it and a clear, I ask them to put a straw and uh, a yep. cherry in it. And I just walk yep. around drinking. Yeah. That. Yeah. It, Nobody asks. It's like, I, do, I drink sparkling water with lime and lemon. That's my drink. That's my drink. Yeah. No matter what I even drink sparkling water at home, like just, you know, with my meal. So I drink that. No one asks, no one cares. Like they just yeah. either assume well, or they don't like, it looks like something. So yeah. Cause if yeah. you're standing there without a drink, people are wondering, but if you already have a drink in your hand, no one's going to ask anything anyways. Yeah. You know, when I first started that journey, I was scared to death to go and meet these people who I've partied with. Like, and they couldn't wait for the party, Chantel, because trust me, I've danced on numerous bar stools <laughs> or bar countertops, you know, my lifetime, but I didn't know how to act or how to be or anything without alcohol. I thought my life was going to be extremely boring, but to the contrary, there are so many activities I do now that I truly enjoy and it's yeah. so peaceful and the people that I meet are amazing. I love to go to speaker meetings. I love to go to girls get togethers. Like there's a women's brunch, like twice a month that I love to go to. There's just so much there. I felt so alone prior to my sobriety that I do not feel alone anymore. I feel, I have so many friends and I mean, genuine friends and people who truly love me for for me and like me, I love you for you. I know. And girl, there's no way that I could have went through any of this without you. And, you know, I don't know, you could black this out if you want to, but you as sponsor, (laughs) you know, I love you so much. I love you too. And, you know, being there for me, it was traumatic. And I know that, you know, you went through a lot of that emotion with me and Mm -hmm. holding me up when I couldn't be held up. And for that, like I get teared up. I'm, I'm honored to have done that uh, and been a part of your life. It's an honor. Yeah. Forever grateful to you forever. Oh, I love you so much. No, you're like the sister that I never had. I mean, well, I, I have sisters, but like you're the extra sister that, you know, my bonus sister. I mean, yeah, we don't get friendships like that. They don't come around that often. I certainly never had any friendships like this out at the bars. There weren't people drinking with me that gave a fuck about me. Like they not like you do and not like people in, in the rooms do. Yeah. I mean, that's including family too, baby. You know, there's just, you know, you don't have those bonds, even with some family, you know, they just don't understand and you you know, it's okay to love them, but you don't have to like them and (laughs) you know, you don't have to like them. (laughs) at all. And you don't have to have them a part of your life. You know, they, you don't have to have that toxicity to help you keep, you know, to keep pushing you under, you know, yeah. and you, you can have beautiful people like you that, yeah. you know, that give of yourselves, you know, and that's another thing like that you. I do yeah. is, you know, service to other ladies into the rooms and, you know, service in general. That's how know, this giving- whole thing works. Yeah. yeah. Now see, I gave to you when you had nothing to give and then now you give to others that now you have something to give yeah. because people and I have a, 
when I came in feeling like a piece of shit and lower than low. And like, I didn't know which way was up. And then people that stepped up and loved me and held me up and cared for me and showed me the path and showed me what to do and how to be a lady and how to walk this path and stuff that I didn't even know. I didn't even know how to do. And people taught me that. And so that's why I pass it forward. And I go pick up slimy sponsies that relapsed and drive all around <laughs> and to random places and random off roads and into the water and try and look in the Creek and try and find stuff. And yeah, it's, you know, and it helps keep me oh. sober too. So that's why yeah. I do it. And that's why I do this podcast too. I want other people to hear the message, to be inspired, like women connecting with other women. And it's just another platform for people to connect on, you know, a different level. You're driving your car, you want to listen to something or just connect or like people that are newly sober that are maybe like super curious and not quite sure what it's about. Not and don't sure. really want to go to the rooms or not really sure. Like this is a perfect platform for people to kind of listen in and they don't have to show up anywhere or raise their hand or show their face. They yeah, can listen to stories I, and relate. I, and yeah, yes, yeah. for sure. I highly suggest them getting, you know, if, if anybody out there has a doubt in their mind, I highly suggest go into a room, you know, meet people that are like-minded. Yes. You're not going to feel the same way and you'll feel so much better inside and you'll learn to love yourself because most alcoholics hate themselves inside. That's why they torture themselves thoroughly. You know, they just need to numb themselves. And once they get out there, I promise you, I promise you, if you seek that help, you're going to be blown away of the life that you're going to have, you know, there's, and the promises that they tell you, they come true. They absolutely do. I'm living proof of that. And, you know, I know that God has kept me alive, you know, to relate to others and to help them and to hold them up as much as, you know, people has done it for me. And there's so much more, and I probably could relate to so many more people and other things, but I hope that somebody got, you know, something out of this and, I truly appreciate you doing this podcast, Lisa. You're beautiful, beautiful inside and out. You know, you're such a giver and such a heart in you, you know. Thank you, Chantal. And thank you so much for sharing your story. It's so inspirational. And I love that closing out there, the message, go to a meeting, get a sponsor and your life will change. So with that, that is a wrap. Thank you all for tuning in and we will see you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Pink Cloud Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others find the show, and we really appreciate it. We'll catch you in the next episode.